0: It is good to be with you this morning. I know that the bulletin says that uh, Dawson's preaching. He was going to preach, but Emma has gotten uh, sick, and she's running a a fever. And they had her tested for uh, the flu, and it came back negative. And so they're just uh, waiting for the results from the COVID test. Please pray and continue to pray that the little Emma doesn't have uh, this terrible disease. So uh, they'll get the results back in a day or two. In the meantime... Uh, We'll continue to pray for them, and I will uh, be preaching uh, this morning. Also, keep Sal in your prayers. He's having some health problems as well, and we want to make sure that we lift both of them up uh, in our prayers. I'm going to continue with our series in the Riptides, and I just uh, uh, felt that it might be time to talk about the disciples themselves, this little band of twelve who were utterly devoted to Jesus and were following him uh, and uh, whom he called personally to enter into this very special part of his ministry. And so I'm going to read from John, very familiar text to many of you, John chapter 14, the first 12 verses. And um, so now hear uh, the word of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and have you still not known me? As you know, or maybe you don't know, this passage begins what is known as the farewell discourse of Jesus. It's one of the most remarkable pieces of literature that you will ever read, and it's preceded by this amazing account of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, uh, getting on his knees, if you will, as a servant, the lowest of servants, and washing the disciples' feet. And they were shocked and amazed. And Peter himself even protested. At that same supper, he announced that he would be betrayed. At that same time, he said to them with these words, little children. He used a technical term that was an endearing term for little ones. And he said, my little children, I'm with you a little while and then I'm going to go away. You're going to seek me, but where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as, you've, as I've loved you. And then in front of everybody, he foretells, because Peter objects, he foretells Peter will indeed deny him three times like all the rest. Now, I don't know if any of us can imagine what that must have been like to have given everything to the Lord Jesus Christ, your work, your career, in some cases your family, everything you have, everything that makes you, you. And follow Him and see the miracles and the signs and the glory and the amazement and hear His words and and, and watch His actions and be With him, only to have this all torn away in a moment. You talk about a riptide. This is a monumental, colossal riptide that very few of us would ever really experience exactly like this. At the same time, I think all of us may be able to point back to a place in our life, a moment, an event series of events, period of years, when something was torn away from us and we were carried out and lose sight of the horizon and we're in the current and we've, we, we don't see any of our normal checkpoints of where we could be okay. We're just adrift. And we know that we're going further and further. This is what this group of men must have been fail, feeling. Feeling. They're confused, they're bewildered, they're disillusioned, their expectations are completely shattered of what they expected to happen, gone utterly. There's stress, there's grief, there's fear, I mean you name it. There's tension in the room. Because he has just blown up everything they thought that was going to happen. And yet, as we've been looking at week by week, you see this amazing pattern of redemption. Even here, in this discourse, in fact it goes on through the rest of the discourse, 15 and 16, and it is encapsulated in Jesus' amazing prayer in chapter 17. And so I really hope you'll go home this afternoon and read these few chapters, maybe start in uh, 13 of John and go through 17 of John and read this this amazing thing and see if you can pick up on the pattern. Now remember, the pattern that I am suggesting, that I think the scriptures reveal to us, when the riptide of sin and disappointment and distress and slavery, when all that comes into our lives and carries us out into a place in the ocean that we can no longer see the horizon, when we're lost to that, that God gives us a pattern in which He will save us. Now, it doesn't always follow exactly the same order, but I think you'll see most, if not all, of the elements there. First of all, He comes in and He interrupts the life of the individual it's not like they're, they're, they're out there looking for him. He comes and finds them, and if you go back to the beginning of the gospels, these men were all minding their business, all twelve of them they were not doing they were not looking for God necessarily. they were just out there. maybe they had a wish or a hope. oh if the Messiah would come, sure, who doesn't want that? But they weren't trying to find him. He comes and He walks on the shore and He calls them, Peter, James, John, come, follow Me, Matthew, follow Me, Thomas, follow Me, Philip, Nathaniel. He gathers these men, He interrupts their life. And then He becomes intimate with them. This is crucial. God doesn't just call people out of nowhere. He calls them into a relationship with Him in which they will be intimate. And then God reveals Himself in some kind of self-disclosure. And then comes this beautiful invitation that almost seems to us like it's impossible, but He invites us to enter in, not only to the relationship, but to go on the mission with Him into the world all around Him. So let's look first at this whole idea of place. What Jesus is talking about here. Do not let your hearts be troubled. The first three verses. Believe in God. He's giving them an imperative. Believe also in me. You do believe in God. Believe in me also. My father's house has many rooms. Now the old King James says. That in my father's house are many mansions. And A lot of us grew up singing about mansions. And hymns and things like that. But really what it means is. There's this. This place where God is, his abode, and in that place of abode, there is room for us, provision for us, a place for us. And Jesus said, I'm going to prepare this place for you. And if I go, I will come back. He references the second coming, and he says explicitly, I will come back in order to take you to be with me. This is an interruption. This is a an invitation. This is intimacy to the highest degree. You're not going to live out in the slave quarters out behind uh, the mansion. You're not going to live on some other part of the country. You're not going to be separated into uh, 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 government subsidized housing because you can't afford to live up in the more wealthy part of the city. You're going to be in God's own home, not as a guest, but as a beloved child. And Jesus says to them, Technon, my little children, you know, when my kids kids are grown and they have grandkids, and they come home, we open the place, they make themselves at home too much. The grandkids are welcome. I just wish the parents would stay home. No, not really. We're delighted to see our family. Now, you know, everybody has the uncle or whoever that you want to keep locked away. But most of the time, we want to see our family. and We want to have them with us and have them in our home and have them go and get in the cupboards and find stuff that's theirs as well as yours. This is the image That Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place. And Jesus, is when He says, I'm going to prepare a place, He doesn't say, I'm going to go up there and start fixing your room and making your bed and doing all this. What He's saying explicitly is, I'm going to make it. Listen to this. This should rock your soul. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. What He's saying is, I'm going to make it possible for you to come into this house. Who could go into the house of God? Nobody. The high priest once a year and with all kinds of caution went into the house of God. And they tied a rope around his leg in case he was struck dead so they could drag his body out. Because anybody that went in there would die. Nobody could go. Since they got cast out of the garden, nobody could go back in the garden. There was an angel with a sword that threatened anybody that would go back in the garden. And Jesus says explicitly, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to make it possible for you to come into my house, to be my family. The goal of creation, my friends, for all these years we've we've taught our church here at Christ the King, the goal of creation, God made the world and everything in it and mankind in His image so that for one purpose... That we could be with him, <laughs> so that he could come and walk in the cool of the day, and we could look at the garden and and God would tell us things, and we would hear from him and tell him things, and and then the garden would become too small, and so we 'd start pushing the edges out and and eventually we would cover the earth with a garden of Eden in god 's presence, the riptide. Of sin carried humanity away. We'll look at that probably in a few weeks. The goal of creation was always that we would be with Him, and the goal of the new creation, the new Jerusalem, is that we will be with Him. Not us going there, as great as that is. We will go to heaven when we die, but heaven is coming back here. It's shocking, it's scandalous. That the God would come down to the earth and dwell with mankind. And he's promised nothing less than that. It's a reason to live. If you ever feel despair and are caught in the riptide and think there's no horizon. You look to the horizon of this one who goes to prepare a place for us. How does he go? He goes via the cross and the grave and the resurrection. And that's how he prepares this place. And he talks about it in the rest of the discourse, but we don't have time to go into it now. His presence, listen, folks, his presence in God's house, in his holy heavenly temple, makes our presence possible. Without him there, you can't get in. There is no access You've got to have this eternal perspective. If you're out and caught in a riptide and you're out in the ocean and you cannot see the horizon, if you don't have an eternal perspective, you may never see the horizon. God has called us to have one eye on this world, intensely concerned with social justice, with righteousness, with peace, with anti-discrimination, with kindness, with with love and compassion, with gentleness, with humility. Those are the marks of His people. And He wants us to be deeply, 100% invested in the here and now, in this world. And at the same time, 100% invested in the there and then, because He is going to conjoin the two. And so we cannot let anything separate those. We fight for it down to our blood. We fight to hold the tension together because this is what He's called us to do. The ultimate meaning of our lives, our purpose, are found in that horizon of Jesus Christ. And that's the place He's pushing His disciples. He knows their distress. Listen, I don't know all your stories. I don't know what's going on in your do you know some of your stories? And many of us have had crushing, things that have crushed us and swept us out to sea, and we don't know if we're ever going to find our way back or how in the world we will ever be whole again. The scripture says. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, many rooms. There's plenty of room. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So that you can be with me. That's your horizon. That's what you look to. No matter what's going on in the the ocean around you. You fix your eyes on that. Especially in those times when your life has been crushed and the riptide has carried you away. Look at, look at 4 through 11. This is one of the most... I, I don't know how to... It's almost hard not to, over, to really say this is amazing. It is amazing. The self-disclosure. There's probably nothing quite like it. Except that the burning bush. And even, even the burning bush experience of Moses pales in comparison to this just this little part look at verse 4 thomas is afraid and thomas is a you know thomas is one of the disciples very outspoken and brash he's filled with fear probably doubt like us i mean he's like us he's so much like us it's amazing there's confusion but there's also an obtuseness to thomas in other words A lot of stuff has been said, and he's still being stubborn about it and obtuse. And I can't tell you, I don't know how to define obtuse, but I hope you all know what it is. It's just being like a, uh, in Spanish we say what, cabezón? A hard head? Yeah, cabezón. A hard head. I don't care. I've shown you all the facts. I don't care. Don't bother me with the facts. I don't know the way. I don't even know where you're going. He's being very cabezón, very hard-headed. Where are you going? Jesus says to him, "You know where I'm going. I just said I'm going to the Father's house. You know the Father's house." And we're that way too, folks. Sometimes we're so obtuse with God. He just tells us stuff, and we, you know, we argue with Him. That's okay to argue with Him, but at some point, let me tell you, you better give in and just bow the knee and say, "I don't understand," but you know why. When I'm to prepare a place for me, you've got to be good. My goodness, I know what's it's going to cost you, the cross, the grave, the resurrection. I know that's all going to cost you. And say, so while I can't understand everything. I'm going to get down on my knees here and I'm going to worship you. I don't know. Okay, enough scolding. You know where I'm going. I'm going to the Father's house. But we don't know the way, really. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And what he's saying is, Tim Keller has done a marvelous job with this, and others as well, saying that every other teacher, great religious leader, all of them said, here is the way, showing you the way, and saying, now you go and do these things, and you will enter the way. You can enter the way. In fact, Confucianism, I've been watching this thing on Netflix about Socrates and Confucius and Buddha I don't know if any of you have seen it, it's fascinating Uh, uh, who predated Christ by over 500 years these three great thinkers well Confucius called his thing the way it's a path that you follow and that will get you there it's behavior do these things and you can get there act this way, think this way vote this way Order your mind and your actions this way, and you will get there. And out of all the teachers and every religion in the world, this is different. Christianity, does. Jesus doesn't say, I'll show you the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm embodying that. I'm not a way to get there. I'm not a truth to believe. I'm not a, a life that you earn or that you merit. I am that. This is, this is mind-blowing, what he is saying. And why I think people recoil at the exclusivity that Christianity puts forth. I get, it's not my words. Go argue with Jesus. I would like him just to bring everybody in, because then I would be sure I could get in. Right? You know, some of you are self-righteous Pharisees. We're going to look for you. No, I mean, if you're getting in any way, the only way you're getting in is by what? Say it. Starts with a G, ends with an E. By grace. Plus what? Plus nothing. You're not going to be able to hold something up and say, Oh, here's what, I, here's what I can give you in order to get into your house. My goodness, how crazy is that? It's like saving yourself from a riptide. You can't swim against that current. It's closed. Sin is slavery, it's crushing submission. It's evil. You don't wish it away. Even God doesn't just go, Oh my goodness, sin, I'll just forgive it. He pays, He makes the payment. Jesus embodies. He incarnates. This is the glory of the incarnation. I love Christmas for that one reason. That God became man. The virgin birth is not that impressive. Although it's wonderful truth. The real amazement of Jesus is that he was born at all. Not that he was born of a virgin. It wouldn't have mattered. I know we can get into all the theology about that, but that's not the amazing part. The amazing part is that he came at all. That he became a man at all. That was the scandalous part of his birth. D.A. Carson in his wonderful commentary on the farewell discourse says this, The way of Jesus, the way to God, listen, this is profound, the way For Jesus to get back to God, to get back to that place, is the way of the cross. But the way for the disciples was Jesus. Now you may bear a cross, you may have to wear the the crown of thorns, you may suffer persecution. But the only way, the way for Jesus was to go through that hell on earth. Of the cross, His death, His torture, His resurrection. Being abandoned by His friends and at the end abandoned by His Father. In some mysteriously unbelievable way. And yet, He makes it possible for us to go to the Father's house because He goes. So the way becomes Him. The truth is Him. The life is Him. So he's, self-disclosure, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But he also goes further, and this is where it becomes so profound. Nobody has ever been able to explain the Holy Trinity. No one will ever explain the Holy Trinity. Because obviously you can't explain God. You can't say it's like a a shamrock, a a clover with three leaves. That's modalism. You can't say it's ice, uh, vapor, and liquid water, that's also modalism. You can't say it's like a mask, uh, th- that God puts on one mask, takes on the persona of Father, then He takes the mask and puts the persona of Son, then He takes off that mask and he persona of Holy Spirit. That isn't the doctrine of the Trinity. That's too simple. This is much, much more profound, what Jesus is saying, and don't expect to get your head around it it 's just a ama- it 's just mind blowing he 's saying something more than all that beyond all that. look at verse seven, if you really know me you 'll know my father from now on, you do know me and you do know him, and you 've seen him now Philip is also one of these he 's not quite maybe not quite as obtuse as, as thomas but he 's still pretty thick headed Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Like Jesus is going to open a door real quick and say, eh, The Father. Look at that. No, he's saying, Look at me. You couldn't possibly understand the Father. If you and I jetted up to heaven right now and ushered into the throne room of God, like Isaiah was in Isaiah chapter 6, you would, no telling what you would see. Isaiah saw this personage on a throne and the room filled with smoke and creatures uh, divine creatures flying around and everybody's singing holy 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 and they're just going on and on and on it it's if you went there you might see something else we would all see something different the amazing thing about this is we all have hopefully the same Jesus you can touch him. You can put your hand in the wound, in his side. You can put your finger like Thomas. Thomas has to do this later. It's awful. Put your finger in this. I love Caravaggio's uh, uh, beautiful painting of the scene of Thomas and Christ, because if you look carefully at this amazing painting, the Caravaggio. Painted, he ha- Jesus has Thomas's hand gripped by the wrist, and he's pulling it. And Thomas is like this, and he's making him bring his finger to the wound in his hand, striking. Amazing. Show us the Father. That will be enough. J- Jesus says, "Don't have been with you all this time. Don't you know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father." Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You can almost feel Jesus' heart being broken by their unbelief. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? If you don't want to believe my words, at least believe my... You can hear him pleading. He's pleading with us too, my friends. Believe me, trust me, what do you have to lose? Get down and trust me with your life. Every part of your life. Hold nothing back. Because only the person of Jesus, only his works, only his words lead to life. Only he can prepare this place for us. Only the Son of God can do it. And that's the invitation of. I think we see here that is is pretty striking. Look, in, in verse 12 through 14, he does this amazing thing. We don't have time to talk about it, but he said, If you ask the Father for anything in my name, I will do it. first thing that comes to mind for us guys is a Harley Davidson, uh, maybe a sports car, a Corvette, uh, I don't know, an airplane, some fun toy. For women, I don't know what you ladies We don't know what you want, so don't try to tell us because we won't understand you. Even if you speak in English, we won't understand what you're saying. Whatever it is that we're asking for, he makes this almost outrageous statement, ask and I'll give you anything you want. There's no time to talk about this today, but basically what he's saying is, I want you to enter a relationship with me. That's just like the one I have with the Father. Because if I ask Him anything, He'll do it. Anything. He will do it. And I want you to have that same relationship. Now there's more that can be said, but we don't have time. So the question comes, how in the world? Jesus is throwing out there the greatest interruption in human history. The, The burning bush pales in comparison. Everything pales in comparison. He is stepping into their life, these 12 men, your life, my life. He's stepping in and He's saying, how will you get from here to there? And every human being has got to ask themselves that question. How do you get from here to there? You either deny that there's a there and that the only there for you is a grave and if you want to do that, that's fine. But if you have any inkling in your mind that there is something more to this life that gives it meaning that is somewhere else than this, then you have got to answer the question, how do I get from here to there? And Jesus said, the way you do that is by me. Your sincerity cannot get you there because our sincerity goes up and down and sideways. Our obedience won't get us there because it goes this way and that way and hither and yon. Our moral effort, being weighed in a scale and a balance, am I more good than bad? You don't want to get in that scale. I don't care how good you've been, you don't want to be in the scale. If they bring out a scale on the day of judgment, I'm dead. And so are you. The only hope we have is that if we're put in a scale, that Jesus gets in there with us to offset the weight of our sin. What is the ground? Think about this. Those of you at home, think about this. What is the ground for you to be in God's presence at all? And for a Christian, you abandon all hope of anything other than Jesus plus nothing. Listen to this. The law was only a shadow of good things to coming. Now the laws, all this amazing stuff that Moses gave the children of Israel, the plans for the temple, the tabernacle, the veil, the inner holy of holies, the sacrifices, the killing of the Passover lamb, the daily sacrifices, the guilt and sin offerings, and all that amazingly wonderful stuff that you read in Leviticus... And Numbers and those places, you know, it's hard to get through. It's all there to show you that to get into the presence of God, to make that trip, you got to do all this. And then you can only get into the, you can't even get in the building. You can get out there and look at the building. Because there's a curtain there and anybody that passes the curtain inside the building, they... Would die. This is what he's talking about. The law, all of that is just a shadow of what's coming. It's not the reality. Sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, can't make perfect those who draw near to worship. It can't. They're just simply an annual reminder of our sin. Daily, they're reminding you of your sin when you, those sacrifices are being offered. It's impossible. He said, how could the blood of bulls and goats and all this, how could they take away sin? They can't. Therefore, now listen to the profundity of what the author of Hebrews says about Jesus Christ. I I can't even express it. Listen. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, He said... He, The author here is saying, Here's what Christ said when he came into the world. He said to God, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, as it is written of me in the scroll. I come to do your will, O God. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, we have confidence, listen, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is His body. Since we have this great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings. The pattern of redemption, my friends, is Jesus Himself. Just Him, plus nothing. Put your hopes, your dreams, your life in His hand, your sin in his hands. All that you are, all that you have, all that you ever think you will be, your family, your fortune, every, the political process, everything in his hands and trust him. And trust him. My favorite quote of John Calvin, one of them is on the front of the bulletin each week or in, in the back of the bulletin each week. The other one is this. I have it in a plaque uh, in my my room over there. I'll be happy to show it to you. For in the cross of Christ, as in a splendid theater, the incomparable goodness of God is set before the whole world. The glory of God shines indeed in all creatures on high and below, but never more brightly than in the cross." I hope you'll trust him, will you? Let's pray. Father, uh, we love you and thank you for your many kindnesses to us. And we know that without Jesus Christ, we would have no place, no possibility of ever getting from here to there. But he has gone to prepare a place for us. That where he is, we may be also. And at the end of the day, Father, through all the riptides of our life and all the horrors and disasters and terribleness that sin can bring and disappointments and disillusionment he is our horizon the beauty that fills our eyes is in that wicked and evil cross that he made good and we cling to it that's where we see the splendid beauty of Christ our God help us save us And have mercy on us according to your grace. Amen.